Hello and welcome to the Mobile Home Park Podcast. I'm Jason Sroten, here with my good friend Glenn Esterson. Glenn, how are you? I'm doing fabulous today. I hope you're feeling better and up and running. I am here. I am doing it. We haven't done a podcast in a while. We're sorry for the delay. Uh, but today we're going to jump back into Glenn's book. And Glenn, your book is cranking right now on Amazon. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm pretty happy with the amount of sales. I'm pretty, pretty surprised, actually, by the amount of sales that have happened on that book. And, uh, you know, actually just today, another, another review came out about it from a guy named George Allen, who's, uh, you know, an industry guru and, and well-respected, well-known guy. And he gave me a, well, I'll say a favorable review. George is a very straightforward speaking man, and I appreciate his input. And I'm pretty happy to get on the, uh, to get a positive review from them. So and thanks so to everybody cool. out there who's been buying the book because uh, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely nice to see happen. It, it took a lot of energy and effort to write that book. So I'm glad it's being well received. Yeah. And it's probably giving people a lot of power in the mobile home park space and helping them avoid all the uh, bad stuff. <laughs> then we're going to be talking Hopefully. about yeah we're going to be talking about that a little bit today as we talk about chapter seven of the book which you wrote it's called uh the mobile home ex the the mobile home park manifesto and you can get it on amazon and please re leave a review if you check it out but chapter seven is all about risk exposure and how to get comfortable with it so you know, we've talked about due diligence and all that stuff a lot, but let's talk about, you know, how people, when they're getting into the space, view their risks and what they are. Sure. So when people are first entering the space, they, they actually don't know what a lot of the risks are. Um, it's <clears throat> there, There's such a lack of information out in the market about how to understand all the risk associated when purchasing a mobile home park from like a mom and pop that isn't an institutional type of property that already has proper books and records and deferred, you know, or maintenance logs and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we, we tend to um, just look at what the seller is giving us and say, well, I guess if that's what he's given us, that must be all that there is to it. And he says, everything here is fine and dandy. And, the guy that he referred me to check the sewer and the, the water lines and the things also said it was fine and dandy. So I guess, I guess there's not much risk here to be exposed to. And, you know, that's, I mean, obviously that's a, a, a very, you know, loosey goosey type of, you know, definition on the risk there of, of how people are looking at this thing. But, you know, uh, in the reality is, is, you know, most people regret something they overlook after they close the deal. Um, there's almost always something you didn't bother to check on because you didn't know what you didn't know. Um, and so having a really well thought out plan for your due diligence from A to Z is, you know, going to be fundamental in your success. I'm, I'm doing a deal right now with a very large group, a national group uh, on a deal in New York, and they've been such a pleasure to work with. But one of the things that they um, that they do is is extreme due diligence, and I swear I I think that these guys have uncovered every possible stone while going through things, and yet they're still digging, looking for more unknowns and more red flags. Um, now these guys they own a couple hundred parks, and they're they're major guys, and so it's to be expected they would have it like this. But they're buying from a mom and pop, 
and for the mom and pop, the amount of due diligence that they're having to uncover is kind of overwhelming, right? But yeah. if it was a, uh, a you know a, a local first timer type of purchaser buying that, I bet you the due diligence list would probably all fit on one page and have maybe you know twenty five questions and you know that that would be about about what we typically see and that's just you know just it's just not enough you know you have to go through the due diligence you know the biggest risk and I and I told you this before Jason you know the, the biggest the three biggest risks in this business uh, are, are not so much property related but really kind of municipality related, management related, and uh, uh, funding related. Those are some of the biggest risks in buying a deal. If you can get those three things covered before you even start digging in the deal, you're going to be in a way better position uh, to, to understand the red flags that you got to look for. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 the municipalities can have all sorts of information for, for you to, to go check on and look into and hear about and, you know, what they would like to see to be done. And you should you should really dig into that. The books and records and the income side of things, that's a little bit more straightforward. But, you know, in in many cases, there isn't much recording happening either. So, you know, you, you might the guy might say, well, hey, uh, you know, here's the rent roll. Uh, I don't keep, you know, uh, a separate bank account. So, you know, it just mixed in with my family's income, and my wife's income and all that kind of stuff. And you're you're going to have a hard time discerning what, what what's the real income here. Um so that could be a big risk with that, you know, with a lot of these mom and pops. And of course, they're not, you know, really reporting. I wouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them aren't necessarily reporting all the income to the IRS or all of the expenses. You know, uh, typically you'll see a lower income reported and a higher expense reported. So you can't really use the IRS tax forms um, necessarily, although ideally they'll match up. And that's what a bank wants to see. So you know, it's a, I, I can go rambling on and on and on about the various risks here that, that you got to be looking for. And I hope we, we dig into a few of these. But, you know, right out the gate, the big three, municipality, um, management and funding. And then a very close fourth is understanding the income and expense streams and trying to verify all those out. And then right behind that's going to be the utility systems. Uh, and then right behind that, it's going to be all the tenant vetting. So. A lot of risk, <laughs> a lot of things to not look for when you know, or not think about yeah, looking the, for. So you're, you don't, you don't ever. It's never sugar coated. It sounds like such a bad business sometimes when you're talking about it. It seems so challenging. There's like literally it, it really everything. Is. So like, what do you think drives people? Because you know, the the more and more I learn about it, and I'm thinking about this risk. How do you get comfortable with that? Like, and and well. There are other the industry, things, right? Like, like you're not stuck yeah, with no, this. People make this decision for a reason. Every day, multiple times, people are buying parks. I mean, there's 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 a group that we just just in the last three days have submitted, you know, four offers on deals that if you know, hopefully they get all four because they'll close all four and they'll run due diligence on all four at the same time. You know, wow. uh, and, and once you have a system down, it's a lot easier. But we're talking about for the most part, a lot of these guys. Or just getting into the business. Maybe they have one or two parks. Maybe they have, you know, a due diligence list from one of the, the workshops that they've been to with some of the, the so-called gurus out there and stuff like that. And and by all means, use that as a starting point. But it is no way the end-all be-all. And every deal is going to have its own, you know, strange, you know, Exceptions. little things that you have to be aware of, you know, exactly, yeah. you know. So what, what I what, what I've been doing and what I did when I was a buyer and what I recommend people doing is, as they're they're growing is keep a running list of due diligence questions wherever you can get 
uh, you know, a broker sometimes has a list of due diligence items to think about and, you know, these workshops and the internet, these Facebook groups, uh, anytime you can find a due diligence list, print it out, attach it to the, your previous one, combine them together and keep that list growing because that's going to be something you're going to want to know every single little checkbox and, you know, that you need to go for, especially as you start going up the ladder and looking at maybe more complicated deals that have park-owned homes or private utilities or maybe, you know, there's you know some other aspect to it, you know, like RV or campgrounds. And you want to be able to ask all the right questions because it's the stuff you don't ask that's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Yeah. And, and it seems like it's around every corner. Um, it really is. It, it really is. And, there, and there, you know, if this was any other industry, there's a lot of firms out there that specialize in doing third-party due diligence. Um, in the mobile home world, in, in the RV world, it's just not. Um, I mean, there's a couple guys that they're trying to do it, but by no means can they handle, you know, going around all the country and looking at all the deals people are asking, right? There's no real system or infrastructure built for that yet. And I think somebody might hopefully one day figure that out because, you know, a couple groups have figured out the management side. So hopefully the due diligence side is next and um, it should make things a bit more, you know, streamlined and sophisticated, although it's probably going to cost you a pretty penny. Um, and most of the mom and pops are probably still going to want to do the majority of the due diligence themselves uh, to save money and to, you know, feel like, you know, they're, they're learning what they need to learn. Um, so for now, it's, it is, this is the hard part of the whole thing. You know, the, the raising money, that's not the hard part. The getting the loan, that's not the hard part. I know I told you guys that was the hard part. That's not getting through due diligence and feeling happy about everything you're doing and not having any buyer's remorse after you close, that's the hard part. Um, and then keeping it, you know, if you didn't uncover some of these risks and, and then they pop up after you close, that's a lot harder too. Now you gotta, now you gotta backtrack and try and figure out how, how to fund this, this thing you missed. Um, you know, and so the risk could really start uh, uh, cascading from there and you, you want to, you know, preemptively get in front of all that. Yeah, and every 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 time we've talked about kind of the negatives of the business, it always comes back to due diligence. Like the, that, it always does. It, it, does. it always comes back because I was just about to be like, Glenn, tell me the worst thing that's ever happened to you, and it's probably the same thing because it, it's all linked together with doing the thinking up front. And so I guess yep, it sounds absolutely. like just do not be lazy. Like spend all of your effort up front. Otherwise you're going to be paying it for it for years and possibly with your livelihood. Yeah, no, it's uh, so there's a group that, that I respect immensely and I've done numerous deals with them and, you know, they're a Southeast group and uh, they, 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 in the early part of their purchasing thing, before I had any clue who they were, they bought a park that was a, a non-conforming, uh, had, had, it was a non-conforming park, meaning that the, the zoning that it was built under is no longer really how the park is being ran. So it's run through a, a you know a grandfather type of clause. Um, and the city is one of those anti-MH type of cities, especially an anti-old park MH type of thing, you know. Um, and so the it's all, it, it was an all-lot rent deal. There was no way that they could have known this when they bought this five years ago. I mean, there was a way, of course. They, they, they could have dug deeper and and understood the risk associated, but they were anxious to buy a big deal or do their first deal and all that kind of stuff. And so now three years later, they were, they, they were uh, looking at replacing some of these older tenant owned homes that, uh, that they had the tenant, some of the tenants had moved on and left their home and 
they were going to start replacing some of them. Well, they, they went in to, to go replace it, and they learned right out the gate that, oh, if you replace any home there, you're going to trigger all the setbacks, and then your park is going to have to be brought 100% up the code. And that's exactly what they had to deal with. So they spent the last year, uh, almost $200,000, uh, going through this process for a, for a smaller park under 50 spaces to re uh, uh, redo it essentially. And, and, and now, now they've gotten all the approvals and plans done. And so now they have a horizon of, you know, two, three, four years before the city is not going to let those current tenant homes still be there. And they're going to have to go through this process. So they're looking at selling their park. Um, and the number that we're selling the park at is, is aggressive. Uh, but at the same time, the build out when you when you go through the process is actually going to be quite beneficial. It'll be a beautiful park. It's all all the landscapes been approved, all that kind of stuff. And you'll have you know about a four you know a four x exit on you know on, on the cash deployed to get there. Uh, but this what is a, a scary time for somebody. This is a current deal. Yeah. So so this was a risk that they um, you know neglected to understand you know thoroughly when they bought the park. And, uh, you know, here they are nowadays, very smart guys, owns thousands of units, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, they, they they need to carve this off now or they have to go through the building cycle of it. Now, the, you know, the, the cushion is it, it, it ended up being in an opportunity zone. So a buyer is going to be able to really, you know, utilize some tax losses here uh, with the build out and stuff like that. And, of course, you had the cost segregation factor into it. And, you know, it's it's going to become a, a decent deal for somebody. But if that happened to me, oh my gosh, I would that, that would have put me out of business, especially if it was one of my first deals. Um, right. I, I wouldn't have been able I wouldn't have been able to say, hey, well, I guess I have a diminishing return here, and I'm going to have to deploy a lot of money, and then deploy a lot more money after that just to restabilize it. That would have been too hard for me, and I would be, you know, I guess I'm going to have to sell this thing, or I'm going to have to give it up. Um, luckily, they bought it for for very cheap and a very good deal, so you know, and, and they're well capitalized now. But that's exactly, and that's that's a risk that is a real time risk. These setback rules on these old parks, when you go in and 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 think, oh, hey, I'll beautify the park and I'll bring in new homes, and you're trying to just do good and improve things, and the city's sitting there just kind of you know waiting in the background for you to do something that can cause them to say, nope, you're not allowed to do that, and that just you know we're going to ruin your day now with all these new things you have to do. Um, so you, you the buyers really need to be cautious about that specific thing. Uh, and that that boils into that municipality stuff I was talking about. When you go to the municipality, you need to be asking them about, you know, you know what happens if you want to replace a home? How would that affect your setback? Is there a process there? Is there a new thing coming downstream that's going to affect your your park in some way or fashion? Is there is there, you know, a, a city sewer that's going to be forced to, to, to hook up to at, at an individual per lot basis with the, the excessive ta- uh, uh, tap fees and things like that. So, you know, municipality questions, that's your first stop. That's how you avoid a lot of these risks. You, you dig deep inside the municipality first and foremost. Uh, yeah. if, you're, if you're interested in, in investing in, you know, uh, some town that, you know, you're, that, you know, that, that you're, you know, hot on for one reason or another, whether it's, you know, a, a Miami type of location or whether it's a Lumberton type of lo- location, you still have to get into that office, make friends with those guys and figure out what's coming down the line. Yeah. When you're established in the park and you're, you're, you've got all your bearings, you got through due diligence, you fixed all the things that you missed. 
How often should somebody be doing like a, a SWOT analysis, like a strengths, weakness, opportunities, and threats to be like, hey, these are the things that could be coming to maintain. Is this something somebody we should do twice a year, every quarter, every month? Like how quickly are things say, changing? I would, say that's, I would say that's probably, you know, a smart thing to at least do annually. Once you're, once you're in it, um, you know, you should have had a good plan, you know, before closing uh, and, and feel pretty comfortable. And assuming you did everything you're supposed to do and everything's running smoothly, now you're the owner, you definitely got to sit back at least once a year and reflect on, you know, what's been accomplished for this past year, what challenges ahead of you and what are the, you know, the, the risks associated with those challenges and, and come up with yet another plan to, to go through, whether, whether it's, Hey, I'm just trying to maintain what I got or whether it's, Hey, there's, you know, another 10 lots I might be able to bring online. If I, you know, if I go through these steps and, and kind of figure all that out because it's, uh, you know, things change and, 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 and rules change and, you know, you should be, protected by your grandfather clauses and all these other things when you, when you, you know, own this thing for, you know, a continued period of time, but things change and, and sentiments change and, and, and municipalities kind of go a little left and then they go a little right or they go harder right or harder left. And you have to, you know, be able to navigate that as it will potentially affect your income streams. Yeah. But what you're, what feels good about what you're saying to me is that, it, it does. If you do it right, you set it up right, then it can be pretty passive. Right? Like if you're only having yeah, to worry about absolutely. that once a year and you're just trying to grow your business, grow your investment, you know, it, it seems like absolutely. once you get through all of the bullshit up front, it, 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 it's not, it, it's kind of a sit back and, and just keep trying to like maximize. Yeah, once you have... Once you have the management figured out, okay, and assuming you've already gone through all this stuff and now now the management's in place and they're trained well, they know how to rent, you know, units, they know how to take maintenance orders, they know how to deploy the maintenance men, they know how to collect the rents, maybe you have everything all set up so, you know, the, the, the building's all taken care of, you know, automatically and stuff. Um, this thing, this, this business can easily become a, a true cash flow machine where it's a uh, you know, a passive investment, but it takes real, uh, you know, um, uh, thought process getting to that point because you have to really think through all the different people that need to be in place. You got to get them trained properly to do it right. And that's easier said than done. Uh, but there's thousands of guys in this industry who do not sit at each park every day trying to worry about this, that, or the other. They got a whole team set up, so they're able to go find new deals and raise more money and buy another deal, put a new team in place, get them up and running, and then rinse and repeat. And when you finally get enough of that going on, you know, you're going to see, hey, wow, I have a machine here that actually doesn't require all my time to do something with. Um, you know, it's uh, that's what's most attractive about this business is that it really can become a very passive cash machine. Uh, once you get all the ugly fixed and you get all the tenants put into permanent placing, you know, and, there, there's, and you have long-term tenant base at this point and you're just growing your rents at, you know, two to three percent a year or, you know, every couple of years you take a new little bump or whatever it is you're going to have a very steady stream of income coming in. And that's, that's, that's what makes this business so attractive, but boy, all the stuff to get to that point, I cannot understate it enough. It is not easy to set up that system, but once you get it set up, your life gets a lot easier. Yeah. 
I that that God, now you drag me, now you pull me back in. Now now I'm like I get scared right? and then I feel okay. You like give me that information hug. Um yeah, so I, I one of the things that I've been um, you know, thinking about a lot is how do I vet a management team? Like, you know, in terms of like property managers, what are the things that sure, I sure. should be looking for? So if, if you're buying a park that maybe is a smaller park, you're going to be a little limited on your management options. Okay. Um, but let's pretend you're buying a park that's maybe a hundred spaces and, you know, you're getting three or $400 lot rents. You're going to have enough money in that cash flow to pay a real manager. And typically a real a real manager who knows what they're doing and is licensed and can handle all the day-to-day stuff, you know, it's going to cost you somewhere between 40 and $50,000, depending on where you are in the country. In, in other cases, it can cost you anywhere from, you know, five to 10% of your, of your revenue stream, depending on the size of the deal, but usually kind of maxes out around 50 grand. Um, you might need a second person to, to bring online to help support that first person. And you're definitely going to need a maintenance person or two, that are, you know, maybe one full-time and one, you know, part-time type of person. Um, and so, so the management side of it, you know, is, is, is challenging. Well, and especially in today's market where unemployment is, you know, 3%, 3.5% or whatever it is. So finding the right people can be a challenge. Um, and you're most likely going to have to develop the right person. Um, I mean, certainly you can go poach from another successful mobile home park and offer a better wage or whatever and see if they will come over. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, you, building up from the ground is not the worst idea. And training the people the way that you need them to learn your systems and, and how you want them to behave and operate, it's not, it, it, it's, it will pay off for you. Um, I mean, use, use Mosey, uh, you know, as an example in my case, who, who by all standards would not have ever been allowed to be a property manager, you know, um, considering his background and, and just, you know, all of that. But uh, for me, you know, we, he was, he was such an honest person, despite how, how intimidating he may have looked and his background that after a couple months of working with him, you know, he understood exactly what I needed uh, him to do it at my park and exactly how I wanted collections to be handled and, you know, maintenance to be done and reported and all that kind of stuff. And, and he was, he was a gem. Uh, he, he was great. And so you can find very cheap, you know, uh, management sometimes. And in that case, all it cost me was, uh, you know, was free rent. Um, and then I let him keep late fees and then I gave him some bonuses. And when he rented units, I'd give him a little commission and, but still, you know, nowhere near 10% of my, of my revenues. Um, and, and, and he did a great job. And when he when he passed and I had to find somebody else to do it, I, I scrambled hard and, and there was a lot of shysters. I mean, I had one guy who claimed after working at the park for a month or two that uh, that I sold him the park and went and collected all the rents and uh, and, and took off out of town. You know, That's um, so and, you awesome. Know, I, I was out for three or four thousand bucks that month. You know, I was I was like, what the heck? You know, never wow. saw that guy again. Um, you know, so, but, but eventually I, I, I found as, as most people will find that there's a lot of really good local realtor type of property managers that are licensed, uh, you know, for, for real estate sales and for property management. And they often do a pretty good job and they just need a little bit of guidance and education on how you want things done. And, you know, they, they'll cost you 10% almost all the time for these smaller parks, but money well spent. 
Um, and when you get up to a level where you, you, you have numerous parks, you would hire, you know, some of these third party management companies to oversee, you know, the on-site people and to oversee all the, the books and financials and stuff like that too. And then that will typically cost anywhere from another, you know, three to 5%, depending on the size of the deal, uh, as well. Um, so like a well professionally managed park with a few hundred lots. So you could easily be spending a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in management. Uh, but I think it's money well spent at that point. The guys who get, who, who get screwed off are the guys with the big parks and the mom and pops that, you know, see some, some person that has semi decent credentials and, but no licensing and says that they can do this. And after a few months or a few years of being there, they get comfortable enough to understand the systems and maybe they're doing an okay job, but they, they often say, geez, that's a lot of money he gets every month. I'm sure he would have noticed some of it, you know, didn't show up. We'll just say that the unit was vacant and things like that. And, you know, that happens, that happens a lot. There's a client of mine who, he had an employee who over a few years took $300,000 from him. Um, you know, now, now she's going to go to jail and stuff, but he's not going to recover that money, you know? So, uh, it's, you know, you got to have that end really figured out. Don't just take the first person with, uh, you know, a pretty face and, and a good and a, and a good talk about how to be a property manager. You want to really vet those guys out, just like you would vet anybody else out that you're doing business with in your park. Man, that yeah, you, I, that's really good to have somebody. That, that's what makes it passive. If you don't have them, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if you don't have any try doing it yourself, you're not going to have a lot of free time. Or if you end up having a lot of free time, you might not have the nicest looking park. Um, you know, so uh, it's it's definitely something you got to pay attention to. I mean, it's management, you know, like I said, municipality, management, and then the funding. Uh, and then you should be able to start looking for a park. <laughs> you know, And the funding is kind of a chicken egg thing with these parks too. So it's those the municipalities. So you kind of have to have some foresight as to where you want to be and kind of have you know an idea that you're not just going to be meeting with every municipality around the country trying to find a spot you want to kind of narrow that down because then you'll be able to find your management once you've narrowed down and then you'll start finding some lenders that will land in that area uh assuming you're credible and things like that i like how the journey that we went on because i went from not being comfortable with the risk to being comfortable with it which is what the chapter is called. So it's very fitting. Right. <laughs> Thank you for all of the information today. If you want to uh, learn more and dive deeper into risk exposure or any of the other topics we've discussed or will be discussing on this show, you can go to Amazon and buy Glenn's book, The Mobile Home Park Manifesto. Please buy it and uh, leave a review. We really appreciate it. And if you want to get a hold of Glenn, you can call him directly on his cell. Glenn, what's that number? 423-483-0492. You can visit Glenn online at dmhpexpert.com. And you can email him at glennesterson at dmhpexpert.com. Glenn, I got the email address. Yeah, that guy, I was like... The email is G. Esterson. G. Esterson, sorry. G. Esterson at themhpexpert.com. You'd figure after this long and having helped create the email (laughs) that I would actually know what the email address was. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking about cap rates and what they mean and how they can, um, what they should mean to you as somebody getting into it. Um, On behalf of Glenn Esterson, I'm Jason Sorotin. Have a great day.